0: How to Let Go of Your Regrets by Mark Manson Imagine this, you're at a cocktail party where everyone there is a past version of yourself. There's a kid's play area with all the little kid versions of yourself. There's a TV room with all your angsty teenage selves watching music videos and playing video games. Then there's dozens of adult yous walking around, sipping whatever garbage you drank when you were young and broke, representing each of the distinct periods of your life. The insecure college you, the trying to look smarter than you are you, and the frustrated and exhausted you from your first job. Now, this might sound like fun, but I think the cocktail party of you would actually get quite boring. The reason is that for each version of you that you talk to, you know everything that they know, while they only know a fraction of what you know. That's not to say it wouldn't be endearing, You'd hang out with your awkward teenage self and reassure them not to worry. Those painful high school years will pass and things will get better. You'd talk to your arrogant 23-year-old self and compassionately bring them down a notch. You would talk to your smitten self, the one who had just fallen in love for the first time. And while not disclosing that Mr. or Miss Perfect is about to drag their heart across the pavement and smash it a dozen times with a sledgehammer, you would bask in the feelings of a new young relationship. But then there'd be that one former self that you'd want to avoid. You know the one. That former self that did that horrible thing you've never quite found a way to forgive yourself for. If forced to finally speak to them, you would immediately start chastising them. How could you? What were you thinking? You were such a moron. My God. Then the cocktail party would be ruined. There you are, present you, ripping into past you with all your past selves looking on in horror, feeling both neglected and abandoned, the cocktail party of you would collapse into this one pointed, awful moment in your life that would suck away the joy and vibrance of all the others. The cocktail party of you is a kind of metaphor for what happens when you experience regret. You abandon and neglect the celebration of all of the interesting parts of your life to hone in on this one festering mistake that still haunts you. Regret is a form of self-hatred, If who you are today is a culmination of all of the acts that have led up to this moment, then the rejection of some past act is therefore a rejection of some part of you in this moment. Hating some part of yourself in the present messes you up psychologically, but hating a part of your past is not much different. It harbors shame and resentment, it inculcates self-loathing, and it makes you a real drag at parties, metaphorical and otherwise. But the way to get over regret is not to ignore it. It's to push through it. It's to engage that former self, to talk to them directly and understand why they did what they did. It's to sympathize with that former self, to care for them, and ultimately, to forgive them. Learning from your regrets. Here's a question. What's the difference between a mistake and a regret? I would argue that a regret is simply a mistake that we haven't learned a proper lesson from yet. Often, we regret because we did something so cataclysmic that it's difficult to learn the appropriate lesson. But more often, we regret not because our actions were so heinous, but simply because we lack the imagination to pull something productive out of them. Learning from our mistakes is such a fundamental component of not being a shitty person that I don't even know where to start. But let's put it this way. If you do something wrong, but you learn from it, then suddenly that mistake becomes helpful. Developing a habit of learning from our failures is like this magical elixir that transmutes all of the embarrassing, cringy shit of our lives into making us better. And while that might not remove our negative feelings, it certainly prevents things from getting worse. Regret serves an an adaptive purpose. It can help us or hurt us. When we feel regret, we can either wallow in it, wallow in our past mistakes, or we can take steps to ensure that we don't repeat our past mistakes. Maybe you fucked up a relationship years ago, and it still stings when you think about it. Instead of beating yourself up, use it to identify the issues underlying your fuck-ups. Maybe you were too absent. Maybe you were a little too selfish. Maybe you were a terrible communicator. Maybe your love comes with impossible conditions. The way you move on isn't by rationalizing all of these uncomfortable feelings away, by blaming yourself or the world for your misfortune. It's by accepting your mistakes, By understanding what happened and integrating that experience into your understanding of who you are today. This forces you to take responsibility for your fuck-ups. And if you truly take responsibility for your fuck-ups, you don't repeat them. That is what regret is for. But of course, this is much easier said than done. Questioning your narratives. In my book, Everything is Fucked, a book about hope, I explain that our minds are always constructing narratives to explain our feelings and experiences. These narratives are rarely accurate and often unhelpful, yet we need them because they hold our sense of self in place. By learning how to question our narratives, we can gain greater perspective on how bad what we actually did was. And if we're honestly questioning ourselves, we'll often find that it wasn't that bad at all. For instance, let's say Timmy wasted his life savings in a pyramid scheme. Timmy feels awful. His wife hates him. His friends ridicule him. He can't pay his rent. Everything is falling apart. In the moment, due to how painful the event is, Timmy constructs a narrative for himself. I wasted all of our money because I'm an idiot and I ruined our lives. If only I could go back and do it over again. Now Timmy has a regret. What's dangerous about narratives like this is that they self-perpetuate. If Timmy believes he's a piece of shit and horrible with money, then whenever he has new experiences, he will interpret them through the I'm a piece of shit and terrible with money lens. He will also interpret good things that happen to him as simply good luck and bad things that happen to him as his own fault. The problem with our narratives is that they are chronically short-term, emotional, and self-centered. What Timmy's narrative doesn't consider is that losing your money can have some subtle, non-emotional, long-term benefits. Aside from learning to never invest in a shady Las Vegas timeshare, his experience will test the commitment of his marriage. It will alter his own relationship and philosophy with money for the better. It can teach him that he needs far less to live and survive than he had expected. It can root out all the superficial materialistic values he had been carrying around his whole life and help him replace them with healthier non-material values. It can stress test his friendships and bring him closer to certain family members who help him out in a time of need. It can give him a useful cautionary tale, teaching other lessons so that they don't repeat his same mistake. If Timmy extends the timeline out far enough and zooms out the lens wide enough, he may one day look back and say, damn, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. And in fact, most people, if you talk to them, say that their most painful experiences were often also their most important experiences. But to get to that point, you have to get out of your own way. You have to wipe away your own bullshit narratives. Listening to our worst hits album, on repeat. When we experience regret, we are choosing to relive our past. We are replaying our broken narrative over and over again and living as though it is still true even though it has long stopped explaining the world well for us, and even though it continues to hurt us. The problem is that we identify with these lost opportunities. We take these failures on as our lost identity, the person we should have been but never were, and then we torture ourselves with that idealized image. Let's say you're in a dead-end job, and maybe you're not the young gunslinger you once were, so you think it's too late to do something different. You're too old to go back to school, too far into your career to change paths, and too settled in your life to make changes that will affect others, like your family. All of these narratives are probably wrong, by the way. So you have constructed this ideal self that reflects who you wanted to be 10, 15, even 20 years ago, rather than who you are today. Your ideal self is, one, young, because that's when you're supposed to go to school, and two, single and responsibility-free, because that's when you're supposed to develop the foundation of your career. This is stupid for all sorts of reasons. First and foremost, youth is just this made-up thing you decided was important. You don't have to think it's important if you don't want to. I used to think I was going to be a musician. Then I dropped out of music school. I don't sit around thinking, oh man, if I hadn't dropped out of music school, I could have been a musician. What the fuck is wrong with me? No, I realized that my desire to be a professional musician was a totally arbitrary ideal in my mind, and I could change it. The second reason this obsession over our idealized self is dumb is because even if you did somehow revitalize your sense of youth, it would probably require diluting yourself in some other harmful way. Meanwhile, with each passing year, you get a little bit older and take on a few more responsibilities, and you grow further and further away from this idealized youthful self. As it becomes less and less attainable in your mind, you feel your idealized self slipping away, and you regret it. You regretted so much, so much time lost, so much time wasted. But fuck it. Let that narrative die. It's no longer serving you, and it's not, nor was it ever, necessarily true. Let it die. Instead, choose the right career as the older and wiser version of yourself now that you have an idea of what the hell you actually want. Being older has so many advantages. Use them and move on. By moving through your regrets and accepting the falsity of your idealized selves, you free yourself to take responsibility for the present. Regrets and Responsibility I've said before that in order to let go of a relationship, you have to accept that a part of you, the part that was born and only lived when you were with that person, is now dead and gone. Well the same goes for regrets. Finding closure for your regrets means letting your lost self die off once and for all so you can learn what your regret is trying to teach you. Here's the irony. At the cocktail party of you, the only version of you that can teach you something that you don't already know is the regrettable you. It's the one version of yourself that can show you where your narratives have gone wrong, where your understanding of yourself has faltered, where you are refusing to take responsibility for your life and your pain. We often hold on to our regrets as another way of avoiding responsibility. And confronting our regrettable self makes that responsibility unavoidable. We have to face and accept who we really are. Regret can take us through a whole spectrum of emotional states. One side of the spectrum is the dark lament that we feel when we're reminded of how fucked up and flawed we are. The other side of regret, though, is the light that it shines in, guiding us to a better understanding of ourselves and ultimately to a place of acceptance of how fucked up and flawed we are. And the slow burn of regret that carries on for years is really just a death by a thousand tiny cuts. So let your regrets turn into a raging wildfire that kills everything in its path. You can sow the seeds for something better in the ashes.